This is Father Aaron with another podcast. C.S. Lewis says, The value of myth is that it takes all the things you know and restores them to the rich significance which has been hidden by the veil of familiarity. My two favorite writers are C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. That might seem a little childish to those who don't really know much about these two men. We know them for their children novels, fantasy works on both ends. Lewis, of course, is most known for his Chronicles of Narnia, and Tolkien for his The Lord of the Rings. Now, what links these two novels, these two works, really, is that they both attempt to represent in mythical form, in the fantasy, what Tolkien called the greatest story ever told. That is, the story of God's love for his people. There is no tale ever told, writes Tolkien, that men would rather find was true, and none which so many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. These two authors have, without their readers immediately realizing it, placed the story of Christianity in a fantasy form into the hands of children everywhere. The loving yet powerful demeanor of Aslan, or the glorified resurrection of Gandalf. Myth and fantasy, as Lewis points out, are tools to represent to us the richness of the things we encounter day after day. No one thinks much of a hill, until there is a hobbit inside. Now the church knows this, which is why she shrouds the everyday, the mundane, the ordinary, in a veil of mystery. The sacred liturgy is the mythical clothing of the everyday encounters we have with Christ the Lord. The church elevates these moments because she knows if they are not elevated, they would be lost in familiarity. We, as a culture and as a race, prize the things that are rare, gold or silver, vacations to far-off places, love. Our economy is built upon this principle, supply and demand. The more a thing is available, the less demand there is for that thing. And so as a result, we tend to value less the things that are widely available to us. Strangely enough, these things are often what are most necessary. We devalue food, air, water, the family, and so on because they're so available to us. And this is no different when it comes to the spiritual life. God makes himself infinitely available to us, so available that we forget the significance of his presence, like the loaves miraculously multiplied, or the manna fed to the Israelites in the desert. Because there is so much of it, it very quickly becomes forgotten, or worse, despised. We are tired of this wretched food, cried the Israelites from the desert. The Holy Eucharist, the miraculously multiplied sacrament of our day, is so widely available to us now. 
In every Catholic parish we find the tabernacle, and the Mass is the unstoppable fount of the Eucharist into the world. But because the Most Blessed Sacrament is so widely available to us now, it is no longer considered valuable among Catholics. In many ways, this was the unintended side effect of a major decision by Pope St. Pius X, whose image we have enshrined in a window above the western door of our parish church. St. Pius recognized that in his day, many people were not receiving Holy Communion regularly. In many places, it became far more common to attend Mass and never receive Communion, except on Easter Day. Most parishes didn't even offer Communion at every Mass. The saintly Pope, to counter this, lowered the age that people made their first Communion to the age of reason, approximately seven years old, and he encouraged frequent and even daily Communion. Now, the immediate effect of this was a sudden surge of Eucharistic devotion throughout the world. But as time went by, more and more people forgot the true worth of the Eucharist because of how commonplace it became. The final nail came when, in the early 1970s, many parishes removed the communion railing. Not only were people no longer obligated to kneel to receive communion, but instead of a crowd of people haphazardly surging to a railing, parishes began to institute communion lines, where every person, pew by pew, made their way to the priest to receive the sacred host. The problem with this practice is that it became nearly impossible for people who otherwise shouldn't receive communion because of the state of their soul to anonymously refrain from approaching communion. In the United States, we started asking people who wouldn't receive communion to cross their arms before their chest so that they could receive something else, a blessing. And after 50 years, the Mass in most parishes has transformed from the worship of the Holy Eucharist into the service you attend on Sunday to receive something, to receive communion, to receive a blessing. A shift has occurred. No longer is the Sunday Mass seen as the place where men and women give themselves to God in worship, but where God gives something to men and women. It's no wonder that collections in Catholic parishes have fallen drastically in the past 50 years, because the focus is no longer on what we are offering to God, but what God will give us. This pandemic has underscored this point to me more than ever. Many people these past few months, as they watched Mass, streamed in their homes, became accustomed with the practice of making a spiritual communion. And while it is very good that we learn this practice, especially when we're deprived of physical and sacramental communion, I fear that the fact nearly every parish throughout the world adopted this custom within a week is a sign of what I have already said, that we have turned the Mass less into the, into the worship of God and more into an event where we receive a gift, a token, a wafer, and then go about our lives. It's no wonder that so few Catholics today believe in the real presence of our Lord in His most blessed sacrament, because we have done so much lately to convince ourselves that because the sacrament is common, it is worthless. And we enforce this mentality by the way we approach the altar to receive communion, never considering our consciences, with no real devotion, and with the same demeanor we might approach the buffet for our lunches. Now the remedy the Church gives us for this commonplace experience of God is to surround these sacred moments in a veil of mystery. It's the reason the Catholic Mass is meant, by design, to look so different than other worship services. We don't believe that at Mass, we are here to just sing songs and go home. 
We are here to worship God. Literally, God, who is physically present before our very eyes, shrouded in the mystery of the sacred host. Everything we do at Mass, the chants, the incense, the vestments, the gestures, this all serves to underscore that point. They're not mere ceremonies or pageantry. They aren't traditions that we can't just shake off and would be better without. The Church prizes her liturgy to reinforce to us that we are in the presence of the divine. I am convinced that the restoration of the Catholic faith is dependent on this point. If the liturgy is not, as the Second Vatican Council teaches, the source and summit of the Christian life, then the faith will continue to falter in every parish. When our Lord entered Jericho, he met Zacchaeus, who had perched himself in a sycamore tree. Christ calls out to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he made haste and came down and received him with joy. We must learn to receive the Lord with joy into the house that is our heart, especially when we receive him physically in the Holy Eucharist. Our participation in the sacred liturgy, when it is celebrated to the fullest extent possible, will aid our experience of this sacramental presence of our Lord. The liturgy will, as C.S. Lewis says, take all the things you know and restore to them the rich significance which has been hidden by the veil of familiarity.